Let's welcome Kevin Stansfield as he comes to minister this morning. Thank you. That's very kind. Immediately, let's make sure I know how to make this work. Oh, good. Immediately before getting here this weekend, uh, Lori and I were on a two-week trip back to Ohio and back. Uh, we're taking our son, Ethan. He's out of the Air Force, uh, doing terminal leave right now. Those of you that did the military time know, that, know what that means. And uh, he's got himself a 1930 house and a barn that's in the same vicinity, rough sawn out of hardwood and put together with wooden pegs. And he bought it as is. And it wasn't 12 hours before I could see a certain look come over his face. As he, <laughs> have any of you ever moved into a house and there is no actual plug-in for the dryer? <laughs> There's a hole, there's a hole in the wall for the vent, but there ain't no plug-in. <laughs> Do they exist? Because there was no electricity, anyway, that's... Okay, Tanya, I need you, when I've been up here long enough, you need to tell me, okay? Oh, well that'll be a signal enough right there. Okay. Uh, I mentioned some of that because I just can't, you know, I talk about myself. And two, there's a lot of time on Interstate 80 to, to think because that's what we were doing. I will tell you this, we visited a church back there. I just want you to know, we have brothers and sisters in other parts of this country. Amen. We slid in, we slid out, they were very nice to us. We didn't have any significant conversations really. Lori had this wonderful parfait thing that they were doing much like we do, so, you know. For an old churchy guy like me, food in the back just seems weird. It's, apparently that's the new churchy thing, because it's happening in Ohio too. So, we're blessed. But I had some time to mull this over, to really mull this over. And I would like to pray, and I would like you to pray with me, because the problem is, I have an outline, and it's fairly spare. But there are so many rabbit trails there are so many places to go for me. And it needs to be the places that God needs you to hear. Not just what works for me. So can we pray for that for me right now? Lord, I just pray that in the next minutes that we have, I pray that you would, you would help me be a channel for what you have to say to these people in this place and this morning. And in this season, in this time and place as a country and in the scale of time itself. Just, I just pray that you would just use me to get done your purposes. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> I have a hanky right here. <laughs> and I have another one right here. So, if you haven't heard me talk in church before, because I, I met a young man that uh, I knew a long time ago, and uh, I'm pretty sure he has some really not pleasant memories of me, because he knew me as a young school teacher, and young school teachers are really stupid. <laughs> they do a lot of stupid things. 
So let's move on from that. Today, I want to talk to you about Joseph, the husband of Mary. I wanted to be sure that right off the bat you were tuned. I mean, it's the season would give you a pretty big clue, but Joseph of Genesis, he's the man. There's all kinds of stuff in there that's just great. Joseph, the Christmas story, he's almost a cardboard cutout. So, uh-oh. Let's see. The last time I was up here, I was talking about David. What's great about David is you have books and books of stuff to talk about. And he does the most exciting stuff. Even middle school boys like hearing stories about David. He's just, he's just cool. He was great. Um, this guy, there's less than a chapter in the whole Bible. And in fact, I have to include parts to even make the mentions of him make sense. That don't, aren't, you know, it's just, there's just so little about him in the Bible. And uh, what's interesting about that is that Tim was talking here about how we were going to do this season, how he wanted different speakers to speak, and he asked me, and I, in the instant, God told me what to talk about. That doesn't happen like that all the time. And... Uh, yeah, okay, so here we go. What else did I say? Okay, so what do you think about when Joseph, the husband of Mary, comes up? And uh, my answer is, uh, well, I, I mentioned that part here, so let's move on. Uh, he gets very little press mention that part already. Uh, my default assumption about Joseph is that he's a milk toast. Anybody know what that term, how many of you are, recognize the term milk toast? Is it positive and masculine? No, it's not. Is it a particularly strong character? And the answer is that? No, it's not. Let's see, where am I in my outline here? Okay. So, then I went on to this. Uh, probably the most masculine thing he does is he goes on the road to Egypt. Having gone now back east, once to Iowa, once to Ohio in the last six months, twice, it's not a small thing to pack it up and cross the country. And when you consider the time, that was, that was doing something, getting up and getting going. When I started to look into Joseph in particular, I just typed in this search, and you know what? I, I couldn't imitate the search again. I just went into Google and typed it in. And the very first thing that came up that I had never heard before, and I came back and checked with Pastor Rod. Have you ever heard this before? He mentions this idea. The early church, meaning the first, second, and third century of the church, they assumed that Joseph was doing a second family. Honestly, I'm standing here now, I'm going to be 60 in six months. I had never, that thought had never occurred to me. I knew that he was an older man. I knew that she was a young woman. But it never really dawned on me that this guy had a story. And maybe that story, I got no scripture to go on, but let okay, stop and get organized. For starters, I made this note here, that this idea, the fact that this is his second family, 
It helps me understand his reaction to Mary's unexpected pregnancy. I think I was in Wyoming when I had some thoughts occur to me, and they, they might come off, well, they might come off as heretical to you, depending on what your background is. This is a place, as I got to this place here, I'm a churchy guy. I was born in the church. I was raised in the church. I've been in the church in one form or another. The longest stretch I've ever been out of the church was the first three, six, seven weeks, something like that when we got married, for what it's worth. She was Catholic. I was Assemblies of God. Neither one of those was in Colton, so we didn't go to church. And I couldn't take it. I'm a churchy guy. I gotta go to church. So we started going to the community church down the street here. That can be very positive, but there comes some baggage with being a churchy guy. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty aware that there's a lot of churchy things that are really not looked upon kindly in our broader society. And some of it's deserved, very much so. And this, this is the sequence of thoughts that the Holy Spirit led me through. Like it or not, I was raised with a prejudice about step families. It's rooted in the idea that God hates divorce. But it gives a lot of self-righteousness that gets loaded into that. If your parents haven't been divorced, if your grandparents have been, if the only divorce anywhere was three generations back and the whole family is shamed by it, you can be pretty boastful and prideful about lack of divorce in your family. I'm not suggesting Joseph had a divorce. I, we do know for sure that there was a step family involved here. If the legend is true, and the long and the short of it is, God took me to the woodshed over that attitude. If a stepfamily was good enough for Jesus, then what am I doing with my churchy attitude? And I'm sorry to anyone and everyone that that fits. I'm sorry for my churchy attitude. And I repent here and in front of you all. Okay, let's see how that fits into everything else. So, there's no biblical proof whatsoever that Joseph had a previous family. But, if he did, if he did have a step family, he didn't get to the position of being able to marry another woman with the, that wasn't a fun trip. In his culture, that probably means she died. That's not a good thing. In those days, in that time, with the sex roles divided the way they were, you're kind of hurting if your wife dies. You're in, you're in a mess. God has always been taking us where we are. He's always been taking us from wherever we are. 
and he's doing something good with this. This is kind of all introduction, by the way. Um, other peculiar thoughts. I don't know how Joseph got into the position of being eligible for another bride. I don't think it was a good trip for him. It's just my guess. No biblical proof for that. And what about the bride? It's more typical in that time and in that, in that society that she would have been paired up with another little boy in the village long before they were anywhere close to sexual maturity. And it would have been known by the village for a long time. It's going to be these two. It would not have been typical to take a very young Mary and hook her up with an already mature man. That, that would not have been particularly typical. It makes me wonder. Did Mary have some problems? That's what might be heretical for you. She's the Madonna. She's, depending on your tradition, the Queen of Heaven. There's no problems with her. Really? Just uh, pick a thing here. What if, what if she had Down syndrome? Would that make her less eligible to be who God would pick? There's a personal angle to that for me. But it's kind of not my news to share in this context. Um, so, I don't feel like I'm being very smooth this morning. Are you bored? Are we bored out there? So I've got a cliffhanger. We have that little baby that's with us. Granddaughter number one, she's got a sibling coming. She's been diagnosed with a genetic disorder. The culture of death, of course, said, well, we can terminate. And mom said, next option. What is this child going to be? I don't know. I don't care. This is the thing the Lord has made. We will take her and we will rejoice in what he has done. I wonder, because of the context of my world right now, it makes me wonder what was wrong with Mary by human standards. I bet you she had something wrong. Can't prove it. Will not argue with you. I will not argue with you about that. If, okay? I submit it for a consideration. Maybe Mary was not perfect. Maybe. If that's true, let's look at what God does. Look at what God takes and look at what God makes. Okay, kind of introduction. Now let's uh, let's get into the verses, the actual verses of what this of who Joseph was and what was going on with him. So I'm going to start with Matthew 1. I can't read that or the script here, so I got to read it out of my own Bible. Uh, Matthew 1 and verse 16, and Jacob fathered Joseph the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. And that's the last verse in, a, in the lineage of Joseph. And all it does is establish that he is a, a, a rightful uh, legal father of Jesus. 
Then we skip down to verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. As a 16-year-old boy, what, my wife's pregnant already? As a 40-year-old who's already had tragedy? I, okay, all right. I've already had some encounters with God. Weird stuff's already happened in my life. I've already seen God take care of stuff for me. I can live with that. It's okay. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. I don't think there's an 18-year-old in the world that could have done that. I think a guy doing his second family, maybe with damaged goods, the way the village would see it, he could do that. Let's see if that makes okay. So we established Joseph's bona fides. Uh, definitely the righteous nature of Joseph. There's something about getting older. There's something about taking a beating. It's good for us. <laughs> it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable taking a beating. Whether we've inflicted it on ourselves or not. I don't know what happened to Joseph. It doesn't tell us. My imagination supplies any number of scenarios, but at that age, he's taken a beating. And God has worked righteousness out of him for him. And Joseph receives his orders and he carries them out. He just doesn't. He doesn't. Um, it's been my experience. Uh, when God flat tells you what to do, I can tell you right now, at least once in my life, I flat out said, no, God, I won't do it. And it changed my whole life. I would say not for the better, except that God is redemptive. And he brought Lori into my life out of that. And that's been great. But I'll tell you what, you get clotted upside the head when you tell God, no, I'm just telling you that. If you know God's told you something, you best do it. Because you're going to get thumped if you don't. Just personal experience. Okay, so that's that first section of Scripture. Now we're going to Matthew 2, 13 through 15. How am I doing about staying in front of the mic? Can you hear okay? I'm not, you're not missing anything. After they were gone, I mean, I'm skipping all the rest of the, the Christmas story. If you want to know what it is, go home and read your Bible. By the way, I didn't have a good, read your Bible, 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 please. I'm in Ezekiel right now. It's, it's great reading. Read your Bible. Okay. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death. So that was spoken, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. As I was saying earlier, doing a road trip is not easy. Doing a road trip by sandal and pack mule or burrow. Okay, personal experience. We're kind of a country people here. How many of you guys have ever had the opportunity to ride a steer? Not a bull, a steer. Okay? And you know that a steer, especially a Holstein steer, they do not have a big old back strap in them. They've got a spine. And that's what they've got, a spine. That's it. And when I look at a burrow, I don't see the big broad back of a Hereford bull. I see a bony little spine. Those of you that have been pregnant, tell me what it's going to be like to ride that burrow. And you can pad it up, but that spine's going to work its way through whatever kind of padding you've got on there, and you are heavily pregnant. I don't know if that's in my notes, but... It should have been. Okay, yeah. uh, personally, the thing that always kept us from going anywhere and doing it, anytime you're doing a travel, and, and I'm thinking of, you know, when you had the kids, wanted to go here, wanted to go to Disneyland or whatever, what's the very first thing you have to figure out? You have to figure out fuel. Assuming you have a vehicle that you trust, you have to figure out fuel and lodging and food. If you can do those two things, you can do anything. I don't know how to plan on a burrow a pregnant wife and a pair of sandals and go. I don't know how to get up the next morning and do it. I don't know how I'm going to provide enough hay for that stupid girl. I don't know if my sandals are going to last that long. I don't know. I've never been down that road. I'm a provincial Jewish man. I've never been any farther than Jerusalem on a good year. And I'm going the opposite direction to a very scary place with a very pregnant woman. This does not look like a good idea to me. Just standing here in front of you, I couldn't do it. Now, what was I saying about a milk toast guy? Not a thing is said about him. He just gets up and does it. How many of you have a grandpa or an uncle or a dad? He just, he just gets up and does it. And most of the time, you don't even have to ask him. He just knows. Cows need to be fed. Hay needs to be brought in. Truck needs to be fixed. Dishwasher needs to be moved. Just gets it done. Just does it. Aren't those the most manly men in your world? Just the most manly men? And they don't stand there and tell you about it. They ain't going to go down to the barn. If they were down at the barn, they wouldn't tell you their stories about how they brought in the hay by themselves because all their worthless grandsons were out there. No, stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, video games. <laughs> okay, um, let's read the next section of Scripture and see what happens here. How am I doing, Tanya, for time? Okay. All right. Um, all right, so now I'm skipping all the other stuff that happened, you know. Uh, let's see. Uh, and we're down to, we, we went into Egypt. Uh, let's go to 19 through 23. Again, we're skipping some stuff. Uh, the stuff we're skipping 
is where Herod did exactly what he said he was going to do. He came down and he killed everybody, two, every little boy two years and younger. Um, just in case one of them was faulty, you see. So, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. That guy's so smart. He did exactly what God said, exactly when God said to do it. He's so much smarter than me. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judah in place of his father, Herod was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So, every parent's fear, death is threatened to your child. Um, out of curiosity, how many of you have had that? But the genuine, I'm afraid for the life of my child. Um, I suspect most of us have had some, some moment like that, even if it was highly transitory. You know, things like uh, they're at the top of that 60-foot tree. Hey, Mom, look at me! And you hear... Okay, I think most of us have had moments of that, but very few of us have had official them say, in order for the state to be happy, we need your child to die. Yeah. I, I haven't gotten that kind of message. Uh, those of us who have sent kids to the military perhaps have felt that sort of implication. Uh, that never came for us, but it could have. Uh, yeah. So, um, this road trip thing, it, it, I just can't emphasize that enough. I really, I don't know how to walk from Judah to Egypt. Right now, today, just if I wanted to do one of those enactment things and I just got me a burrow and started to walk down the side of the highway, because there's a road from Judah to Egypt now, I wouldn't know how to do that. And he just did it. Um, and they're coming home now. So he's done that road trip twice. Second time is easy, I'm sure. Um, at least she wasn't pregnant anymore. At least she's not mentioned as being pregnant, although, I don't know, I guess it's within the realm possible he had brothers and sisters. Uh, but they don't go to the old place, they end up back in Nazareth. How many of you have had the joy of moving into a new town? Especially in a provincial community like, say, Colton, where everybody's known everybody forever and you're the new kid on town. That can be great. Those of you that went to school here, how great is it to come to this school as a brand new kid? Because they always like to do that thing at graduation where how many of you were here since kindergarten? And that's really cool. It really is. My kids got to do that. But those of you that didn't, there's a thing that happens when you have to crash into a new group of kids at a school. And it can go well or not. Okay. So that's enough of those contemplations. Now I want to skip over to Luke because everything else, we don't have anything else on him now. He's gone from the picture. Jesus does all the stuff he does in the rest of Matthew and Mark. And here we are in Luke. Chapter 1, 26 and 27. Again, there's lots of good stuff in here. All the, the John the Baptist stuff and all that stuff's in here. Read it for yourself. That's why your teacher taught you how to read. All right. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Okay. Uh, moving on. Chapter 2, 1 through 7. In those days, all, these other, all the stuff about John the Baptist, all that stuff happens. Joseph is not mentioned. Uh, he's going to work, putting in his time, punching the time clock. It's just his life is just happening. But all these other things are cooking around him. So then, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so same story, a little different angle, slightly different, maybe less details, different details mentioned. Um, more details about the moment of birth. This is where we understand that he was born out with the cows. Um, by the way, from Oregon to Ohio, the high was 20 and the low was negative 2. How many of you have ever had the opportunity to be in the barn in the early morning with, a, with more than one large animal? As long as there's a wall, it might be just, you know, one by 12, but if you've got, I don't know, 15, 20 cows edging up to that manger, are you cold? It's, it's, not, it's not that cold. If you have to be in rough weather, in the middle of a herd of cattle is a fine place to be there. It, it, I'm actually not kidding. It's a nature thing. They're large bodies. They produce lots of heat. Even when they've got snow standing on their back, the rest of their body is putting out heat. If you can just get out of the wind and snuggle up next to a cow, you're fine. You might not like the smell, the texture might not be to your liking, but you're not going to freeze to death. You're going to be comfortable with that. So, doggone it, God, you keep being smarter than me about how things need to go. I, I don't know if you can heat up a really cold room with a charcoal fire. Maybe. But out in the barn is an okay place. Actually, the reason I'm sensitive to that is my wife, she hates cold more than she hates anything else. This house that my son has, it's only got one source of heat, and we, we got there, and it had been winterized. There hadn't been any heat in that house for months. And you know, it takes a while for a house to heat up. Getting the stove going was first order. But of course, that means you have to clean the flue, including the dead starling out of the bottom of it. <laughs> it's great. Once that got going, that's where she sat, in front of that heater, for the rest of the day and a half that we were there. That was her spot. This is... Heat is a big deal to me in this story. It matters to be out there in that warm place with the livestock. 
even though it looks like the worst place you can be. Can I just tell you, God does that to you sometimes. You are in an awful place. You hate it. You're going through labor in a very unclean situation. And it's the best for you. It's only hindsight that's going to tell you that. You're not going to know it when it's happening to you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, it, it gives us some information about how and why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then this little detail. Back when I was talking about David, I don't know that... I don't know how many of you there, so I'll just tell the story again. You know that David comes to a place in his life. He's been king for a long time. He has a son named Absalom. He favors that son wildly. It causes a lot of resentment. He sleeps with Bathsheba. That causes all kinds of negative things to happen, up to and including the death of one of his sons at the hands of Absalom. It's bad. It's really bad. There comes a point when Absalom actually successfully completes a rebellion against David. David has to run out the backside of Jerusalem, right over the Mount of Olives, and keep on heading. They get out there to a forest. They have a big civil war battle. Literally, that's what it is. Absalom is killed against David's orders. It breaks David's heart. It's all said and done. David is coming back. To, re to re take his throne and continue with life, and he wants to award the people that were there with him when the chips were down. And there was a guy who would not take, he was a longtime friend, older than David, who would not take a reward. But he had a, probably a, a guy who was a son named Chayo, and I'm not sure I'm saying the name right, but he was the son of Brazil. And David gave him an inn in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before Jesus needed a place to crash, God set it up that a friend of David's who inherited a motel in Bethlehem my point here is, God is making provision for you long before you know you need it. Amen. He always has. He always will. He cannot fail. He will not stop. God makes provision for you before you know you need it. He's got the people coming to help you. He has the resources arranged. It might look terrible. It might smell like cow crap. It might look like green goo on your jeans. But God is providing for you. He's doing it now. He's doing it tomorrow. He's doing it the day after that. And when that provision runs out and it's time to close your eyes and go to heaven, what's wrong with that? That's a good thing. And I say that more vehemently the older I get. Um, you will, I'm sure we can start, you know, 
In third grade, you'd compare scars or scabs. And, and as you get older, you start comparing how bad do your knees ache compared to how bad does my back ache. And it's better not to get into that contest because there's always somebody that can beat you. Um, <coughs> there comes a point when I, I can see it coming. I'm not going to want to keep being here. I'm tired of hurting you. I'm tired of paying debts. I can't wait to see another little one come along. There's days when I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't as much fun as it was when I was 18. That's just me. I'm just telling you. Okay, so um, I think we're done with that page. Let's go to the next. Now, a little more. Not much more left to read. This is, you know, depending on your understanding of the Christmas story, this may not even belong in the Christmas story. I get it. But it's all I got for Joseph, so I have to bring it in. And even at that, i got to include a pretty fair amount of this because for it to make any sense why Joseph's even mentioned, you've got to hear the whole story. So here we go. Uh, chapter 2, 16. I'll go up to 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. I'll tell you, as an older person, I listen to my son and daughter-in-law and their child, and I hear things being said. And it goes in my heart. And I meditate on that. I treasure it. Okay, where was that? When the eighth days, when, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed... To him, by the Holy Spirit, he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed, uh, amazed at what was being said about him. Have you, especially those of you that are parents, have you ever realized that other people see things in your kids that you didn't have a clue was there? Yeah. I gotta wonder, here you got Mary, maybe less than perfect Mary, here you got retread Joseph, to the point where you look at Joseph and say, so how's your daughter? Well, she's your wife, never mind. <laughs> and here this 
this crazy old coot is saying these crazy things about your son. And you know what he means when he says it. And it says something in your heart. And you know you missed it. And you know you've got it now. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I have no idea what that meant to Mary, but... I do want to make the, this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, maybe Joseph, now remember I was Pentecostal, so we really like the hooting and the hollering and jumping the pews and whatnot. Well, that's, that's a stereotype. I actually never saw anybody jump the pew in my life. But I do like the louder expressions of worship than all of you. And in any case, Joseph is amazed, and I would suggest that it might be that he's a little bit weak on the charismatic spiritual gifts. You know, if, if we did that analysis with him, he probably wouldn't do real well on that. Which, you know, cheer up, because we all do probably have something. So next, um, Joseph is rock solid. He is following through. He's in the temple when and where and with the people he's supposed to be with. He may not do charismatic woohoo, but he's showing up when he should. He's showing up where he should. He's showing up with the people he needs to be with. He is rock solid. Again, I'm thinking of those grandpas and uncles that have all passed away. How much I depended on them. Because now I am the grandpa and the uncle that those kids are depending on. Does it matter that I keep staying married to Lori? <laughs> yes, it does. Does it matter that I keep showing up at Grandma's house until she passes? Yeah, it does. Does it matter that that same old blue pickup keeps showing up down to the end of the driveway? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can get a new pickup, but you got to show up. Okay. Um, so, almost done with the scriptures. 36 to 52. It's a long stretch. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. By the way, they're still in the temple. Simeon's had his part. Now Anna's doing hers. Um, she did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Anybody ever leave a kid behind at church? Our family did. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Isn't that great how they covered that whole panic in two sentences? 
you know what Mary had to say to Joseph at that time? After three days, three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I don't think there was an Amber Alert system in those days. You're just on your own. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your mother and I, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Thank you, Mary, for just being a mom. Thank you. <laughs> and then look how he reacts. Why are you searching for me? How many of you had a 12-year-old? 12-year-old male in particular? Some kind of crazy thing happens, and he looks at you like, what? Why were you looking for me, he asked him. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. And that's the last story we're going to hear about Joseph. Um, so a lot of this, there's just a lot of stuff in this story that happens real quick. But time goes by very quickly. Isn't that how time works for us who are older? It, uh, it's, it's starting to be irritating how very quickly it's all going. So, Joseph is just doing the dad thing. I, I thank you, Lord, for letting Joseph live long enough to have this experience with this 12-year-old. 12-year-olds need their daddies. And they need their daddies when they start doing all the idiot things that 12-year-olds do. And they do a lot of idiot things when they're 12. And some of you have got to agree with me because I was in the room with you when you were 12. <laughs> Kids, particularly boys, and I think it's true for girls too, they do it a little different, but they need it too. They need to try stupid things. And they need... <laughs> Sometimes they need to be punished, they need to be grounded, they need to be whatever, but they need the chance to do it. And I don't know why, but it seems to work better for dads for that to happen. And if it ain't a dad, it needs to be an uncle or a grandpa or something. It's just better. It just seems to go better. Mom, you're going to do your freak. Please, feel free, freak out, but it's dads to deal with. You can have your say. You can even inflict your punishments, but it's dad needs to be there if it's at all possible. And if it ain't dad, it needs to be grandpa or uncle. It's okay to call at two in the morning. Johnny has done, and I need you to get out of bed and come do this. It's okay if that's what you need to do. Because that 12-year-old needs that. Or 13, or 16, or 20. Okay, now I'm going I'm to jump so far so fast that you're going to wonder, what are you doing? Have you, have you heard Wild at Heart, John Eldridge? Okay, he was a big fad 20 years ago. And he got real famous real quick. He, he went to the scriptures and he looked at men and he looked at how manhood in America was going and he, he wrote these books. And one of the things, that, and I'm boiling everything he said and did down to some bullet points here. So... These are things that every man wants to know. 
And I do think this does include Jesus because he's a man. So what he wants to know is, does dad love me? I think it's just as true for girls. It just, just, little, just looks a little different. And today I'm talking, because it isn't obvious, I'm, I'm aiming now at those of you who are male. Next, every guy wants to know whether he can hack it. That was the biggest thing football gave me. We went one and seven, no, we went two and seven and one and eight. We didn't win, but I learned that you weren't gonna bust me. I learned that I could take on anybody in the league and tackle them. You might win, but I can tackle you. That mattered to this little scrawny kid. Next, every man's heart has been wounded. What exactly it is, wildly variable, but every man's heart has been wounded. Every man needs to fight a battle. You need to fight the battle. And if you're married and have kids, the battles will come to you. Don't sweat it. You don't have to go looking for it. They'll come to you. And with any luck, you're in this body amongst us, and us men will talk to you men about what's going on with that. But we're not going to do it on Sunday morning. Just say no. I mean, maybe in the corner quietly. It's going to take a little more than that. Um, next, a feminine challenge, which is a woman to win. Every man needs... Now, what if you're a single guy? You're going to be single all your life. Who was the woman in Jesus' life? Who was he worried about as he hung on the cross? His mother. Now, you can, you know, you can get a little weird with your mother relationship, but every man has a woman and probably more than one. By the time you have daughters and you have aunties and, uh, you know, my personal situation, I've got my mother and my father, they're both still alive. That can't go on forever. It has to end relatively soon. And quite out of the blue, I also have my aunt, my mom's sister. Because her husband's just decided to cash in and fail in his husbandly duties. He's not dead, he just isn't going to do them anymore. And I said so out loud. And my mom has looked at me and my brother and said, you got to take care of her. It's like, what are you doing telling us that? Of course we're going to take care of her. It's, that's part of this thing. It's what men do. It's what a proper man does, is he takes care of his women. Once he wins them, of course. Um, and adventure. Men love adventure. <laughs> Why are you jumping off the barn? I want to see if I can fly. <laughs> Guys do that. Will girls do that? Some girls will do that. Not all of them. Not my Lord. She wouldn't do that. So this guy did all this stuff with, with churched men in particular just to try to, to bring, get him in touch with a, a scriptural masculinity. And what's that got to do with Joseph? Well, remember, this is the guy I thought was a milk toast who got up, got up at one wake up and took off for Egypt and made it without starving to death, driving. Dude, dude, he, he's doing it. This guy's doing it. Okay? And then uh, you need to partner in God's purpose. A man gets happy when he knows he's working on something that God wants him to work on. Amen. You get happy with that. 
Okay. Now, another big leap. What? We're talking about Jordan Peterson. Who knows what Jordan Peterson is? Okay. I, Jordan Peterson. I like that guy. He will specifically deny that he's a Christian, and I understand why he does that, and I'm not arguing with him. He's almost a C.S. Lewis. He is a guy who has arrived at, he's, he's almost gotten to salvation in Christ with just rational thought, the way C.S. Lewis did. But he's not there yet, he denies it, and I, okay, fine. So what he, he was Canadian professor, he is a psychologist, he is a defender of conservative values, so right now, Islam, Judaism and Christianity all want to claim him as one of his as, as a convert of theirs. He denies all of that and stays right on the edge. Um, he is a reluctant believer in God, and if you want to hear about that, look it up on YouTube. Just Jordan Peterson, believe in God, and there's there'll be different clips that where he's explaining why he, as a matter of logic, has to believe in God. And the reason he doesn't want to believe in God is that makes you liable for a very high level of conduct. One that you cannot achieve on your own. Okay. Guess what Jordan Peterson has done? He's put together what it takes to be a man. Using his logic. He also, if it's worth it to you, he did a series of speeches on Genesis. And he's taking the book of Genesis and the Bible in general. Number one, he loves the Bible. He puts the Bible on a very high standard and has definitely studied it in excess to what most of us in this room have done. He reveres it. He sees it as a critical book in the Western canon. Western civilization exists because of the Bible. And uh, he has come up with these principles that a man needs to do. So first thing, is, and, and, he, and he did these speeches. There's like, there's like 10 or 11, 12 two and a half hour speeches on different stories in Genesis and what they what they mean metaphorically and all that. And I'm very willing to engage with the Bible on that level. There is a ton of great metaphor in there. So he comes out of all that with this. You need a woman to find. You need a family to nurture. And he comes up with that out of Genesis and his just logic. You need to build an ark, a place of safety. You need a land to conquer. Can you see some parallels with the wild at heart? Uh, a ladder to build is referred to Jacob's ladder. And you need to face life stalwartly without fear. I, to me, that kind of falls into that adventure thing. So, why did you do all that? So here I am. I am talking right now to the men. And if you are sitting at home and you're looking at me, and you're a male, I'm talking to you, you've already done the first step. You're sitting here. I'm telling you, especially if you're not in the room right now, we need you here. You can talk to Pastor Tim, you can talk to Dan, you can talk to Vern, I don't care who you talk to. We need men in this room right here. Jesus needed Joseph for him to do his earthly ministry. And Jesus wants you as a man to do what he's going to do with this church and in this place. 
God wants men in this room. If you're at home, get here. So, okay. I can't tell you what God's going to ask you to do here. I, I don't know. This morning, if you're here, please don't pick up the chairs and stuff. Okay, start with that. Okay? Please share a story before you leave. Please share a need if you have one. If you hear about a need and you can do something about it, do, some, do something about it. We need men in this place to, to step up and be men. We got plenty of women. You never have to ask women to get involved. They're always involved. Thank you. True. I mean, seriously, thank you. It's men that it's a little bit tough to get them to... We need you. The church doesn't work right without you. And just realize, it's God that wills and works. Uh, I can't come to church. Why not? No. I'm an alcoholic. Well, okay, I got my stuff too, but I'm not talking about it up here right now. Thank you anyway. You might talk about it somewhere else, but not here. Um, I don't have any clean clothes. Okay, then wear dirty clothes. Just get here. Just get here. Just be here. It's only one day a week. And then we'll see what else goes on. If you think you've got to clean up your act to be in this church, you've got it exactly backwards. You don't start cleaning up your act until you get to where God starts to clean up your act. If you could see me without my clothes, if we could have spiritual eyes on right now and could just see each other as the spiritual beings that we are, we're all looking like we just rolled in the backside, you know, down the, the, the manure channel in a dairy farm. That's what we really look like. It's the truth. We are fallen. And Jesus loves us. And Jesus needs us. And he needs you to do the things he wants to get done in this world. And this world is getting stinkier all the time. It's not going to be about what you want. It's going to be about what God wants. And God's going to put all the things necessary for that to happen in your heart in his time. Just show up. Just show up. Get here. I need you to be here in order to get done the things that God wants to do in me, in my family, and in this church. And uh, that's it. I'm done talking. How did I do on the time? Okay, so in all seriousness, uh, let's just pray, and we're done for this Sunday. And I don't know if it feels like Christmas now. It was kind of earlier, not kind of something else. But um, let's, let's okay, let's just pray and get done. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that these people sat and listened to me for this time. Uh, I pray that you have been able to use my brain and my mouth to say things to hearts in here that needed to hear them, needed to hear them the way they were said. I pray that whether my mouth is working right or not, you took the hearts and the minds of people that could hear what I was doing and took them where you needed them to go. I pray that you would bring men especially into this body 
and have them find the work you want them to do in this body, in this time, in this place. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you, Kevin.